You are now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. Hey, we're finishing up this series called Legacy, and uh, we've been talking um, about what legacy is, and this is kind of our working definition. It's what we remember about a person, and we, you know, we can come to mind, uh, what comes to mind are people that have long gone ahead of us. Um, maybe it was a parent, a grandparent, maybe it was a mentor, a friend, uh, somebody that left behind something that you remember about them, and that is their legacy, and we are really responsible for the legacy we leave behind. The way we live our life now will determine the legacy we leave behind later. And we said last week that when your life is nothing but a story to tell, what story do you want to be told? And we really are the ones who have the greatest influence over that. And, uh, you know, I was thinking this week about this final message, which is more around personal legacy. Uh, whether you're a parent or not, uh, this one applies to all of us. It's not about family legacy. This is about you personally. What kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? And I remember uh, growing up, there was this great evangelist. Um, he was well-known all over. I'm not going to say his name, um, but, but this guy was well-known all over for his ability to get up and preach the gospel and people to just respond so positively. And so many people would come to Christ under his preaching. And he had a really big church. He was known as the largest Sunday school in the United States back in the day. And uh, I would grow up, I'd grow up listening to him. We would play cassette tapes of this guy uh, back before, you know, you had podcasts and things like that. But they, we would play cassette tapes of this guy's preaching and we would learn from him. But I remember when I was in college, a story broke about this guy. And the story was that for years, he had had a secret passage in and out of his office where his personal secretary, who actually became his mistress, would sneak in and out, and he had a long-lasting affair with her. And I remember when that story broke in a Christian newspaper, and I can remember even to this day, while I was in college, reading that publication in the cab of a truck. I remember exactly where I was when I read that. It devastated me. I mean, it devastated me to the core because I had respected this man so much only for him to leave that kind of legacy before he ended up dying. And many of you probably know stories very similar to that. Somebody that you admired, somebody that you looked up to, somebody that seemed to have it all together, but at the end of their life or at some point in their life, they made a decision or a series of decisions that has caused you and caused others to look at their life with disrespect because of the, the negative legacy they left behind. And what usually happens, it's one of three things that gets us. It's either passion, prosperity, or power. It's one of those things, three things that usually tear people down. It usually takes people from the pinnacle of respect to the pit of disrespect. It comes around passion, it comes around power, and it comes around prosperity. And we compromise our legacy usually in the pursuit of one of these three things. It's the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those are the things that get us. We're going to look at a story today in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 25. It's a story of two brothers. As soon as we get into this story, most of you probably have heard this story. Um, it's about two brothers who were twins, and they got into this little moment where one of the brothers compromised everything for a temporary satisfaction. And that's what we see people do. They will, they will compromise and they will disregard everything that's important 
for the sake of just one more or one temptation that they give into. And that's what we're going to look at today from Genesis chapter 25, beginning in verse 19. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Isaac was the son of promise, the son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padanaram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And that's the only verse we have that has those difficult words in it. I even practiced them this morning. You know, sometimes I'll listen to somebody read the Bible so I know how to say it, uh, pronounce the words, and still butcher it. Um, but Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled, and this was kind of like the the very first ultrasound because, um, you know, that could reveal twins. So the children struggled together within her, and she said, "If, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord gave the first ultrasound, and he said to to her, he said, the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples are. From within you. Now, this was the first gender reveal also. And the two nations that were in her womb were the nation of Israel, the Israelites, and the Edomites. So in these two, these two boys that she was going to give birth to, two nations would be started out of that. They shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger, which would be the opposite of what would normally take place. And we're going to see why that took place here in just a moment. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. So she had these two boys and the first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau, which means the red man. Okay. So Esau was the red man. And afterwards, his brother came out holding onto Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So Jacob came out as the heel grabber, okay? Later, he would be renamed to Israel, which would be the father of the Israelites. And so as you look here, Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. How old were they when he got married? 40 years old. They had waited 20 years to have their first and second child as twins. And so when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob, to which I look at that and go, therein lies part of the problem, okay? Um, Now, you have your kids that accuse you of having favorites, right? Every parent that has more than one child are accused, he's your favorite, she's your favorite. In this moment, maybe. But tomorrow, that could change. You know, that's just the way of, it's just the nature of parenthood. But this was a problem that they had going on in this home. And once, and this is kind of where I want to get the the gist of the message today. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. Just remember that. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom, which is another play on the word for red. Jacob said, sell me your birthright 
now. And a birthright, basically, let me just go back here. A birthright meant that they had rights to all of the inheritance as the firstborn. So Esau being the firstborn, Jacob being the secondborn, he was trying to negotiate a way that he could receive the rights to the firstborn. And that's what this became a battle of. So Esau said, I am about to die of what use is a birthright to me. So Jacob said, swear to me now. Swear this oath to me now, basically. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and he drank and he rose and he went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So as we look at these few verses here, these six verses, they're at the end of this portion of scripture. I just want us to look, and there are six things that I believe are ways that we can avoid compromising our personal legacy. Six things, and you, it may be a combination of these, it may be one or two that, that, you, that you need to hone in on, but these are some ways that we can personally avoid compromising our personal legacy because, let me, excuse me, let me just tell you this, none of us are above that. Every single one of us are capable of failure. And your life and your legacy and your reputation hangs many times on one bad decision. You know many people who lived their life just as clean as they possibly could and made one bad decision, and it defined them from that point on. And so six ways, how to avoid compromising your personal legacy. Number one, identify your vulnerable moments. Identify the moments that you are the most vulnerable. In our text, here's what it says. Genesis 25, 29, once when Jacob was cooking he was cooking stew. Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. You know, many people give in to temptation at the moment of exhaustion. They're tired, their defenses are low, and they will give in to temptation. Some other things that would cause us to give in to temptation would be depression or just this feeling of sadness. And when you're sad and you're depressed, you start to feel like you owe something to yourself. And oftentimes we get into some kind of immoral or unethical gratification in order to make ourselves feel better. In sadness, maybe it's loneliness. Maybe it's a time of loneliness. And when you're lonely, when you're all alone and you don't think anybody's watching, those are the moments that you give in. Maybe it's in a moment of angriness. You just kind of, you, you, you feel that anger come upon you. And as a result of that anger, you give in to one of your greatest vulnerabilities as a result of that. Maybe for you, it's when you're with the wrong crowd. You do really, really well all week long. And then on Friday night, you get with this person or these people and you all of a sudden fall victim to your greatest vulnerability. Maybe it's when your faith is weak from a neglecting walking with God. Maybe it's when you neglected church or when you neglect Bible study and prayer. Those are the times that we find ourselves the most exalt or the most vulnerable. And for Esau is when he was exhausted. He was about to give in to something that was going to change his life forever. The second thing, identify your vulnerable moments. And number two, identify your biggest temptations. Not just when you're vulnerable, what are you vulnerable toward? What is your biggest 
temptation. And here's where their text says, and Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew. He could smell the meat. He could smell the lentils. He could smell that food. And he said, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Listen, this was one of those things where he was just giving in to this thing that had him tempted the most in that moment. He was vulnerable and he gave in to this great temptation. And usually temptations, as I said, falls under lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. Lust of the flesh would be like sexual temptation. It would be some level of addiction, maybe drugs or alcohol or even food. We kind of, we start to medicate and we start to make ourselves feel better with those things because we're vulnerable to those. And that is the lust of the flesh. And then there's the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes would include things like covetousness. And what covetousness is, is basically saying, I want what they have. And we can give in to that. It's the lust of the eyes. We start looking around us at what all the other people have. And we want their life. We want their stuff. And we start to covet that. And then it's not just covetousness. Sometimes it turns into jealousy. And it's not just that I want what you have. I don't even want you to have it. And we'll ruin relationships and unforgiveness and things over this idea of jealousy. And then, then there's that, that, that love of money that we have, that we just, we just want stuff. We just want stuff. We just, we just think that more stuff would make us more happy. And when we're in a place of temptation, we go out and overcharge stuff on a credit card or we'll go buy something we shouldn't buy because money we don't have to impress people that we really don't want to use or don't like to use the words of Dave Ramsey. But we get tempted by that. And it's not that money's evil, but it's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. And it will cause us to fall when we pursue that. This idea of consumerism. You know, and then there's the pride of life. It's, that, it's, that, it's the, uh, the pride of life that we have. It's that desire for power, that desire for glory, that desire for more possessions. And speaking of covetousness, don't forget Christmas is coming up and the kids' lists are long, right? Maybe your spouse's list is long. And just be careful when you get into this time of year that you don't go overboard with some of these things because, listen, we've got to know what our temptations are. We've got to identify our biggest temptations and when are we the most vulnerable. Some of you are going to be very vulnerable shopping online because it's so easy to overspend to get them everything that they want and some of the things that they need. And, and we get overconsumed by that because such and such is getting their kid that or this, this person's getting that, so I want it. We just go, over, go overboard with it. And so we need to identify our vulnerable moments, identify our biggest temptations, and then number three, identify your enemy. Now, this one would be easy because we would say that the devil is our enemy, right? I mean, he is, he's, he's roaming around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. He wants to destroy you, and he knows what your temptations are, and he knows when you're vulnerable to those moments, and you need to know who your enemy is. And here's what the story says. Jacob said, sell me your birthright. Jacob, in this moment, became Esau's greatest enemy because he was about to tempt him to do something that he would forever regret. And for us, our enemy might be the people around us that we would call friends, but they are not our friends because they will cause you to go down a path that you should not go down. 
When I was a, you shouldn't go down. So when I was a teenager, uh, pastoring teenagers, I would say this, that your friends will determine the direction and the quality of your life. If you want your life to go down a good path, get with the right people. If you want your life to go down a bad path, hang around the wrong people. But you know that doesn't change when we get to be adults. I know lots of adults whose lives go down a bad path because of the people they hang around, because of the people they associate with. And so know who the enemy is. Your enemy, in a sense, might be the very few, those people that you would call friends, but they might be leading you into temptation and you might need to set up some new boundaries. You might need to back away from some of those relationships because they're the reason you're so negative, they're the reason you're always grouchy, and they're the reason you fall victim to your greatest temptations because they urge you on and encourage you to do things that you should not do. They may be the reason your marriage is bad because they're not encouraging you the right way in your marital relationship. They're telling you deserve happiness and you deserve to go out and pursue other people and other things. Listen, your enemies could be the people you're calling your friends and they will determine the direction and the quality of your life. Number four, identify your greatest desire. Now this is different than temptation. What I mean by this is I mean, I want you to write down and think about the things in life that matter to you the most, the most important things in life. What are they? Here's what verse 32 says. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Now, this is crazy thinking right here because the birthright was worth a whole lot more than a bowl of stew. But if Esau in that moment would have thought, what is the most important thing to me? Is it a bowl of stew that will temporarily satisfy my hunger? Or is it a birthright that I could buy about any kind of stew or anything else I'd want in the world when I have that? So think about the things that are instantly gratifying that cause the greatest harm. When you think about those things and you think about the, the, the uh, giving in to those things and what kind of, of, of repercussions it causes... When you think about what happened here with Esau as he gave over to a, a fleshly desire at the expense of some kind of major eternal blessing to some degree. Listen, you've got to understand what's, at, what's in store here. What, who does your sin affect? Who does your sin, if you were to give in to that temptation, who's going to be affected by it? And you start to write that down? Man, I've done this in my own mind. I've just thought, if I were to give in to temptation of whatever it might be, who would be affected by that? Well, number one, my wife. Number two, my children. Number three, my grandchildren. And number four, my, my church family. We, all of us would be affected in some way by the sins of other people. And when you give in to temptation, what if you were to just start making a list? Hey, if I give in to this, who's affected by it? And you start to write down what kind of lifelong problems you might have as a result of giving into that. And then ask yourself, what is more important to me? My family, or those things are at stake. Maybe it's a job, maybe it's a career, or is this temptation that I'm being tempted with more important to me? And you just write that down. What is the thing that is the most desirable to you? Is it your family? Is it your reputation? Is it those things that really matter? Or is it whatever you're being tempted by? And along with that, you identify 
the potential losses. Not who is at stake, what is at stake? What is on the line if you give in to temptation? Jacob said this, or Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and he sold his birthright to Jacob. What would be lost as a result of your sin? Would you lose trust in a relationship? Let me just tell you, most of the things that we give into, whether it be drug abuse, whether it be alcoholism, whether it be um, some kind of a sexual addiction, or maybe it's some kind of an affair, even it's an emotional affair, all of these things, all of these things, there are relational ramifications that are at stake when you give into those things. And the loss of trust is so hard to regain. If you've ever gone through somebody, something like that with somebody, you know how difficult it is to regain their trust. And so I want you to think about this. Which is harder to, to do, regain the trust of people or say no to the temptation in the moment? And just say, I don't need that in this moment because all of the things that are at stake that are really important in this life and we say no to those things. If you have ever compromised your conviction and you're on the other side of that and you're feeling the weight of that, let me just tell you this. It is worth the journey back. It is worth doing everything that you possibly can to regain that trust. I've walked with people through this. I've walked with people who refuse to do this. And I will just tell you that when you're in the midst of giving into temptation and your life feels like it is shattered, Listen, it has worked every effort you can muster up within you to regain the trust of the people who love you the most. And it is a long journey back, but it is worth the journey. So what you need to do and what I need to always remind myself of are what are the most important people in my life or what are the most important things and identify the potential losses if I give into this temptation. And then the final thing on our list is this, identify your indifferences. And when I saw this, I was like, this is so true. This is so true. When I was reading this last verse in this portion, I was gonna just kind of skip over it, but then I started looking at it, and here's what happens here. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate it, and he drank, and he rose, and he went his way. And over a bowl of stew, Esau despised his birthright. You know what he's probably walking away thinking in his mind? Because he was wanting to justify this illogical, unwise, to some degree what we would say would just be downright stupid. What he was doing probably as he was walking away, he says, who needs a birthright anyway? To which later he would go and why in the world did I do that? Because now we say the God of Jacob or Isaac, Jacob and what do we say? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, where it could have been Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. A lot changed in this moment when Esau despised his birthright. And what happens is you, a good indicator that you are on the verge of giving into something that will change your life forever and change the life of those around you forever is when you get to the po point that you are indifferent toward your sin. When you start to say that my sin is what I wanna hang on to, and I don't care, I don't give a flip about anybody else. When we start to say, when we start to illogically rationalize that living in our sin and giving into those moments of temptation 
giving into that adulterous affair or giving into those drugs one more time or giving into that alcoholism one more time or lying to try to destroy people to make it and make yourself look better. When we start to rationalize those things, we are on the verge of destroying everything that we ought to live for. And this is where Esau was. He despised his birthright. You start thinking illogically. You start thinking an affair is better than your family. You start thinking money is more important than your integrity. And listen, you start thinking that people are more, our drugs are more important than people. And you start making all these weird thinking and you despise the things that are important so that you can make yourself feel better. And that is a bad place to be. And I'm here today to throw up the warning sign that if you become dis, to, if you become indifferent toward the things that are eternal and the things that matter most, you need to be on your face before God today and asking for his forgiveness and pursuing a life that God wants for you. Because the bottom line today is this, don't trade what you want most for what you want now. When it comes to your personal leg legacy, what do you want most? What do you want most? Would you want to one day stand in front of your kids and your grandkids and other people and go, hey, we've been married for 50 years and we overcame some struggles and there were some temptations that came along, but we both said no, or we came back from the other side of a yes that shouldn't have been. One of these days, wouldn't it be nice to be able to, to retire from a company and then to stand in front of people and say, this man or this woman lived a life of integrity. We could trust them with everything about this business. When your kids look at you and they would go, hey, dad or mom, they lived a life publicly and privately, they were the same. There was no difference. So don't trade what you want most for what you want now. In 1 Corinthians, Paul said that there is no temptation that has come upon you that is not common to man. We are all tempted. Your temptation and my temptations may be different, but we are all tempted. And it's easy for me to judge your temptation because it's not mine. And it would be easy for you to judge mine because it's not yours. But there is not a temptation that comes upon any of us that is not common. But God will always make a way for you to escape that temptation. And you know what the way is? The way is Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father. No one gets forgiveness. No one comes out of this life alive except going through Jesus Christ. And so today, wherever you are, have you ever put your faith and your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you haven't, he's your way out. If you're a follower of Jesus, that doesn't make you immune to temptation. But Jesus is still your way out. And my encouragement to you today is to confess that. Confession is good for the soul. And that's what this altar is for today. If you'd like to come and kneel down before God and just confess to him privately, God, here's my temptation and I've been giving into it over and over and over. Not just in my moments of vulnerability, but over and over. So forgive me. Maybe you need to pull somebody to the altar with you. We're gonna have some deacons and some staff up here today. If you'd like for one of us to pray with you, we would be more than happy to. But if you would like to meet Jesus, 
put your faith and trust in him as your Lord and Savior and begin that journey, man, we would certainly celebrate that today as well. So let's all stand together as we pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful today that you have provided a way out of temptation. That God, no matter what we face in this life, you certainly understand. You understand our humanity, you understand our sinfulness, and you understand our vulnerability. But God, we thank you that in our weaknesses, you can be made strong. And so today, I know there are men and women, there are students who are struggling in this area of personal temptation, personal legacy that is at stake, something that they don't want to dig themselves out of. But if they keep going down this path, they're gonna certainly have some work to do. So my prayer today is that your Holy Spirit who convicts us like nothing else would put his finger on whatever it is in our life that has the potential to ruin us and let us confess that to you and help us to begin the road to recovery. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.